Welcome, welcome to the Exchange for the Exchange podcast, where we exchange ideas about current events, pop culture, and theology. And live. we are on air, boys. Okay. You are live. For the record, Josh Pinnell is laughing. Nikolai Carpathia. <laughs> so gentle. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what Alex is going to say at this point. Welcome to the Exchange podcast. It's good to have you guys with us this morning. I'm joined, as always, by my... Good friends and co-hosts, Josh Pinnell and Daniel Lopez. Dan, how's it going, buddy? Doing very well. Thank you, Alex. Josh, how's the dream, man? Dude, it's being lived. <laughs> it's being lived right now. Boys, we have some unf- unfinished business with the book drawing that uh, that took place. Ah. Thousands entered, and now we wow. need to use the wheel to determine the winner of a signed copy by me of... Wordsmithy by Doug Wilson. All right, so let's, uh, Josh, let's spin the wheel, buddy. Um, why don't you, why don't you spin the wheel this week, and uh, yeah. let's see who the winner is. Yeah, you, Alex, actually, UPS the the wheel over here. So now <laughs> I've got it. I've got to just climb this ladder. Okay, you ready? I'm gonna spin it. All right. It landed on a name, Alex. All right, Andrew Sheps is the winner. <laughs> Congratulations. You will be receiving a signed copy by me of Working With Me by Doug Wilson in the mail. Just Facebook message me your address. Actually, no, post it on the Facebook wall. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Message me your address, and you'll be receiving this book. <laughs> Congratulations. Anyways, okay, we got – boys, we got a show that is just – we it's just chock full, okay? Just a lot. Jam-packed. Jam-packed. <laughs> Let's get to the first topic right away. The first topic is one that is near and dear to both of our hearts, I believe, and that is the topic of Christian camps. Christian camps. Summer camp, snow camps, things like that. Um, let me give you a bit of context. Um, my church just returned uh, from, my youth group just returned from a weekend snow camp. And I just thought it'd be a good time to talk about uh, the place and role of Christian camps uh, in the church. I know both of you have worked at camp, um, as have I. I've worked at a camp. Josh, let's have you go first, buddy. So kind of the mindset that, I grew up with anyway was if I go to camp the reason the reason I would go to camp is because it removes me from the distractions of the world be in a place that's on top of a mountain then I will know God way better you know they would have like the call to full-time ministry and like missions and stuff like that and then my sophomore year of college I was in a book discussion group. We went through the book Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr. He talks about how like Christ, a culture isn't anti-Christ. You're not closer to Jesus just by getting away from from culture and society. For a while, it made me like anti-camp. But I feel like I've kind of come full circle now where I think if you have it like informed, it's not like God isn't where we were and we're going to meet him. So we're going off to the woods where we can be closer to God. Yeah, that's that's good, man. I'm 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 glad to hear those thoughts. You know, sin corrupts from within. You know, that's 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 theologically correct. So when we think if I can just get away from these things, I will change. Um, if I can get away from the internet, I won't watch porn. If I can get away from 
my my friends that I party with, I won't drink anymore. Like that that's you might I, you might not be able to physically do those things, but you still are sinning in those ways. Um, yeah, that's the message of the village with Shyamalan. That's why I love that movie yeah. so much. You know, are you excited about his new movie? Oh heck yeah, man! I'm so I have every Shyamalan movie on Blu-ray. Wow. Okay, so if there was somebody who has only seen The Village, okay, and they haven't seen any other Shyamalan movies, what would you tell them? Which movie would you tell them to watch? Are you the guy? In full honesty, I am the guy. Oh wow! Okay, asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so knowing it's you, Alex, knowing it's you, I would recommend Unbreakable. I have not seen Unbreakable. I've been told that's a great movie by some very close friend. It's based off a comic book, isn't it? <clears throat> no, it's not. Or it's like a comic book. Yeah. It's like a comic book. I just thought of a really, I just thought of a really funny office bit. Michael's convinced that Johnny Depp is is living in his um, neighborhood because he takes he snaps this like grainy photo of this guy that looks like kind of like him. Yeah. And uh, he's ta- he's trying to convince Jim that it's him. Michael watched him walk into his house, and Jim's like, "Well, what was the name?" What was the name on his mailbox? Uh, Michael was like, oh, it was like M. Shulman or something. Jim goes, oh, see, it's not Johnny Depp. And he goes, wait, what was it? And Michael goes, M. Shulman. And Jim goes, M. Night Shulman? <laughs> Dude, did you, guys see, did you guys see at 9 p.m. last night, Steve Carell tweeted, yes. the office is coming back. Cruel. He tweeted, the office yeah. is coming back. No, but then did you see his next tweet? 16,000 retweets. And then he goes, oh, I'm sorry. It's actually like this other show on ABC. I think it was Will and Grace. Will and Grace is coming back. Will and Grace. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I meant Will and Grace. Like after oh, everybody freaked out about it. That is awful. He's like, yeah. he's like sorry, typo. Typo. Yeah, typo. There's, there's someone who does like a Dwight Schrute Twitter account. And he responds. He responds then and says, "Michael is being such a Toby right now." Dude, he's being Toby. That's terrible. Dude, back to the topics, man. All right, back to the back to the topic, boys. A couple of nice little free segues, a nice little free rabbit trails for our for our faithful listeners to to enjoy. <clears throat> Daniel, let's get your take on Christian camps, buddy. I think I agree with Josh. Yes, I agree with Josh. Uh, we had we had a very similar experience. I mean, to the geographical point that we went to the same exact place growing up, um, that we never met. Oddly enough, there is you know there is a value to retreating, um, mentally speaking, even spiritually speaking. It's the whole point of meditation. So when you meditate, you usually go to a quiet environment. You try to get away from distractions, regardless of whether they're sinful or not. And you try to pray and think more clearly about scripture because you don't have to think about other things. Can I give a little pushback to that idea? Yeah. Um, So, like, my idea of retreat and culture and faith has been, like I said, been, like, really shifting probably over the past seven years or so. And uh, one thing, one thing that I've realized is that mindset. What it ends up leading to is my 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 Christian time. I don't know if you can say it like that. Like my Christian thought time is my meditation time. Like early in the morning, like when I'm away from everything else. 
what it does is it makes the Bible this thing that I do at a certain time. I see that. But I don't think that's what the Bible is trying, like what the Bible presents itself as. It presents itself as something that renews your mind, something that changes the way you think about everything so that culture isn't a threat to my faith. Culture complements my faith. So when I watch a movie, it's not like I have my faith over here and I have the movie over here and I'm, I'm watching the movie now and that's different than my Bible time. Now, like, I'm not saying, like, I read my Bible in the morning. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But what I am saying is when I watch a movie, I watch it through a Christian worldview so that it complements my Bible time. So, yeah, that, so that's kind of my pushback there. What do you think, Dave? No, I mean, here's, here's the thing, though. The idea of a retreat is just – it's basically a vacation where instead of, like, reading other books, you're just reading the Bible. So, yeah, if, if it develops in you that sentiment, that, that kind of mentality, I agree with you that that's unhealthy – impractical and consistent but it is really healthy like it's really rejuvenating very rejuvenating like who doesn't want to spend a week not working just to rest now what you do at that time whether you're reading the bible or you're reading a john grisham mystery novel it doesn't really matter but i think rest especially if you're a hard worker I think God rewards that with rest. Yeah. No. Yeah. If, if that no. if that's the way you're viewing it, then I'm like because it's not yeah, like that's where I'm at. It's not like it's not like my rest. If I'm resting, reading the Bible, that's a more spiritual rest than resting reading something else. Because what I'm I agree, and so I think we agree where I'm saying that the Bible transforms the way I look at the entire world, so that I can read a mystery novel as a Christian. And, and my, my, I can, because I've read my Bible and because it's shaped the way I look at all of reality, consistent Bible reading every day, consistent, I would say if you're consistently reading your Bible every day, that's going to be far more beneficial than spending one week a year going off to camp and being alone with God. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Because it's, it's not about where you are. It's not about getting away from everything. It's about having your mind transformed by the Bible. For sure. All right. So, so Josh has mentioned Richard Niebuhr, Christ in Culture. Another good book on this topic is The Things of Earth by Joe Rigney. Mm-hmm. Uh, it deals with these, these issues. So if you want to read more about this, uh, you should check out those books. Uh, summary question. Josh, would you take your family to family camp? If we're thinking about it as a chance to be together as a family. Yeah if we're exhausted or like we've been having a hard time, like having a hard time recently, then yeah, I think it'd be good. Would you attend a family camp? Would I go to camp with my parents? I think I would, honestly, I definitely would because it's easier to have someone else schedule a time for you to hang out with your church family in a relaxing atmosphere for multiple days than it is for you yourself to be like, Hey, we should all get together and rent this cabin up here and do this. So I would take advantage of that. I would. If I had a family, like a wife and kids, definitely. I made a lot of decisions at camp. I went like every year to camp and I made decisions every year. And I don't think any of them significantly changed me. But you know what did change me? Reading my Bible every day. And you know what else changed me? 
being on staff at those camps, reading my Bible every day. Hmm. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Yeah. Um, I have similar thoughts, but, uh, but I think everything's been said. Let's, uh, let's move on to the second topic. And that topic is, is of president Obama. Now has he, is this the last day in office or when's the last day in office for the president? Today, Thursday. By the time you're hearing this, it'll be the inauguration day. Uh, Let's talk about his legacy, whether good or bad and how will he be remembered? Josh, let's go to you first on this one. Wow. That's such a big topic, man. It is. Um, just kind of the words that just come to mind right away when I think about his time in office. Controversy. Because there's controversy over health care, controversy over you know where he was born, controversy over race, things like that. But then like the second word that comes to my mind, which is this is kind of weird, is kind of like stability. Because I feel like like especially like especially with our most recent presidential election, I feel like everything is really unstable and shaky. I kind of look back at the time with President Obama and feel like that's stable. I don't know. That's kind of my initial thoughts. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Uh, Daniel. Here's what I'll say. President Obama, I don't believe, accomplished what he actually wanted to accomplish in full. But what the little that he did accomplish healthcare wise helped a lot of people and regardless of how that policy comes in play or works or doesn't work i'm really grateful for that like we should be more recognizing of that the second thing about president obama is as far i've only been able to remember three presidents so far because i'm only 24 years old and of those three presidents by far president obama was the best husband that has been in the white house out of those three presidents. President Obama has been the best father that has been in the White House out of those three presidents. And President Obama has been the most attentive president to both Republicans and the media that I've seen within those three presidents. And I think for that, that shows that he's a man of respect and he's a man of love and wisdom. And notwithstanding his policies, just on that alone, he's probably been the best president that I've been able to live under. And for that, I'm very grateful to President Obama, and I'm very sad to see him go. Not a fan of his policies. I'm trying to think of, like, one thing that he did that I really, like, agreed with. Pulling troops out of, pulling troops out of the Middle East? Did you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There, there's um, your one right there. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, is that he didn't do it as honestly as, as he should have. Um, like he said that we aren't running missions in Afghanistan anymore and we still are and things like that. But, but here's the thing, <clears throat> Obama, it depend, depending on who you ask, President Obama is the, is the cause for the biggest disparity between the two parties. He's not the cause of it, but he's the, he's the topic. If you ask a diehard Republican what, what he thinks about Obama, he'll say he's the worst president ever. And if you ask a diehard Democrat, they'll say he's probably one of the best presidents ever. So that's amazing, right? That's amazing that two people can look at one person and come to completely different thoughts. It wasn't like Obama was hiding his cards, came in and tricked everybody. Obama said, I'm going to do exactly this. This is what I want to do. He came into office and he got that kicked in and he did what he said he was going to do, which is a lot more than most presidents can say. Now, I take character more highly than policy. 
So for me, a man like the president-elect that's coming in, that's the reason why I don't think he's going to be a good president. That's the reason why I don't trust him and why giving him the benefit of the doubt has been very hard. Because I believe character will have a better outcome than whatever this man thinks about politics or policy. No, no, I, I agree with you, man. And this isn't a comparison between Donald Trump and President Obama by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's hard to talk about Obama without comparing them, though, since he's the next president. Yeah. That's true. It's, the, it's an awkward transition. It's a weird transition. Well, like, but it's hard. To, it's hard to talk about Obama without talking about Bush too, because I think you're comparing yeah. him to the bookend. That's true. Yeah. All I was trying to say was that the 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 American view of Obama is very polarizing. He'll go down as the worst president ever. He'll go down as the best president ever, depending on who you ask. But I mean, I wonder how many Democrats would say Bush is the worst president ever, whereas how many Republicans would say he's the best president ever. My, my biggest memory of Bush was in 2005 when he said the war's over. And then we still, like, when he left office, we still had tens of thousands of troops in the Middle East. On the ship carrier with the sign and everything? Yeah, dude, I will never forget. I saw that on the news because, like, it wasn't <laughs> like I saw it afterwards. Like, I saw it when it happened. We're still there. We're 15 years later. 16 years later, we're still there. One thing that I do appreciate about President Obama is that he is a good father and that he is, uh, at least from public perspective, a good husband. I don't think he's, I don't think he'll be the worst president. And I don't think he'll be the best president. Anyway, um, okay, speaking of controversy, boys, we need to talk about another topic. But I want to ask both of you, do you consider yourself to be reformed? And then we can kind of get into definitions a little bit later, but do you consider yourself to be reformed? Daniel. Uh, reformed by the gospel, eh, man? I'm just kidding. Um, I think where I live right now and the churches and Christians that I'm surrounded by, I would say yes, but because of their understanding of what reformed is, not necessarily because of what I believe reformed theology would indicate in all areas of life. So where I'm at right now in life, I would say yes. I think it, if some so if somebody just said to me, Josh, are you reformed? Just in that, and all I had, and all I had was a chance to say yes or no, no follow up whatsoever. I would say no. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. <laughs> all right. There's I, so much that Josh does not follow. Dude. That indicates he's not reformed and the rule breaker. All right, here's what I would say. Yes, because I'm not a Catholic. Well, that would be Protestant. I think Protestant's different than reform though. No, you can't really set you can't really separate that without saying I'm Protestant, but I'm also this. Okay, so then let's get into definitions. Okay. Josh, oh, what does it man. mean? What does it mean to be reformed? Dude, when I think of reform, here's the thing: reformed, reformed has taken on not not only soteriologically, and it can also be equal to four point Calvinism, not just five point Calvinism, which is weird. Like, so like someone could say, like, I'm reformed and mean they're a four point Calvinist, but then, it, like, in a larger evangelical Protestant context, reformed means um, full continuity between the church and Israel. Uh, and that's that's like the big thing, like that and your soteriology. And yeah. so your hermeneutics, your soteriology, yeah. and your eschatology. 
it includes a lot more than I believe that God elects people to salvation. It also comes. It also comes down to, the, to your view of of the Eucharist. Yeah, exactly. Union, yeah. and it also comes down to your view of baptism. It comes down to your view of discipleship. It comes down to your view of prayer. There's so many little subpoints that really disqualify someone like me to claim that I'm reformed. <laughs> Which is why I say that no. makes sense. Which is why I say no. But here's why I say I'm. Re- here's why I would say I'm reformed where I'm at today. Because in the town that I live in, most people are Christians because they grew up in the Baptist church. And to them, Christianity means I'm drowning in a pool and God is sitting at the lifeguard deck begging me to grab the floaty. Mm -hmm. And if I grab the floaty, he'll pull me out of the pool and I'll be safe. And this goes to what Josh said about us limiting it to soteriology. Because when I say I'm reformed down here, all of what people are thinking of is that I believe that God chooses his people. They're not thinking about anything else. Like, I, I think I think a like a, a Presbyterian would call me a dispensationalist. I, I wouldn't call myself a dispensationalist, but they would call me a dispensationalist because I don't see a full continuity between the church and Israel. I see not the church as the anti-type but I see Jesus as the anti-type and the church in Jesus fulfills those promises and roles, which is not, which is not a covenant theologian position. I don't think they'd call you a dispensationalist. They would just call you, they would call you a confused covenantalist. Dude, I don't (laughs) So I listen, so I listen to a lot of like iTunes, U, like RTS stuff and uh westminster stuff and like i've heard several professors even call like progressive covenantalism new covenant theology dispensationalism wow, wow. in fact I heard one per, one per specific professor say the only reason new covenant theology exists is to get rid of sabbath observance today so new sabbath observance so 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 are you a sabbatarian or, or what <laughs> dude my, my rest is in christ i'm not a sabbatarian no okay, so you're not a sabbatarian, so you disagree with you disagree with Reformed theology in that way. What's your view I, of baptism? Baptism. So in the Old Covenant, you're born into the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, you are born into the New Covenant, not physically, but spiritually. So you receive the covenant sign upon your birth, which is a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. Do you consider yourself a dispensationalist? You're not You're not Old Covenant theology, but you, you would consider yourself. I don't, I mean, no, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a dispensationalist, no. But you'd call yourself progressive? Or, or no, I wouldn't. No, no, no. I wouldn't call myself progressive dispensational. I probably would be like progressive covenantalism. That's or what I meant. I meant progressive covenantal. Yeah, I, I, I see progressive covenantalism, new covenant theology. That's where I would land. There needs to be a really thin line between both parties. That's named Josh, and that's where he falls. It, if if you see a consistent hermeneutic, if you see Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You see him as the fulfillment of Israel. You see him as the fulfillment of circumcision. Um, then, then that then circumcision itself doesn't carry over into baptism. It carries over to Jesus, who is cut off from his people, cast away as unclean. Then he's the fulfillment of that, not baptism. Once you see Jesus as the center of the Bible, that becomes the center of your hermeneutic. Then those who are in him are the fulfillment of the promises. It's about it's not about relationship. It's about relationship to Jesus, not relationship to Abraham, which a covenant theologian would agree with. 
but I would say that they're slightly inconsistent because they're seeing both Jesus and the church as anti-type. I see only Jesus as anti-type and us in that we're in him. Good thoughts. Daniel, what about what about you? What do you disagree with about Reformed theology? First of all, I haven't studied it to the degree that Josh has. So forgive me in advance for my very basic answer. No, that's that's good. Historically speaking, even the Reformers didn't agree on baptism, on the mm-hmm. Eucharist. Very good point. Um, as far as church polity is concerned, I, I think the Reformers took a very biblical approach to church polity. I think that an elder system independent of a membership vote is very biblical. I agree. I think that a membership vote of elders is a very American idea, and to apply that to the Bible is not right because you should apply the Bible to that, not the other way around. So I appreciate that about Reformed theology. Um, I think the the Eucharist probably is the biggest thing to me, and I still have not I still have not come down on like what I believe it actually is in its in its substance in itself. And that's honestly what's kept me from being like Greek Orthodox. Cause that's just like the cool hip hipster Christian thing to do. Um, that, that is probably the biggest thing for me. And then baptism, which stems right out of what Josh was saying. So I'm glad he got to speak first. Now, as far as like what they believe about the Eucharist, it depends on which church we're talking about here. Are we talking about the Episcopalians? Are we talking about the Greek Orthodox? Are we talking about, you know, the Presbyterians? It really does depend, but there there is a very sensational approach that they take to the Eucharist, which I would argue stems from the Mother Church, the Catholic Church, their theology. I believe that it was very hard for Martin Luther and Zwingli and Calvin to walk away from the way that they were taught to interpret Scripture when it came to the Eucharist. And so they've sensationalized it, where... You know, it's ironic that they'll read something like Revelation and say, well, this is not a real dragon. Well, this is not a real pregnant woman. But then they would read Christ saying, this is my blood and my body. And they would say, well, it is the body and blood of Christ, but not really. Like, you're not really eating his body and his blood, but in a sense, you really are. I feel like that's very sensational. And the Bible doesn't really describe that dude but isn't it interesting how like how dispensationalists do the opposite so like they see a dragon but then they allegorize the body and the blood yes of course it's it's genre man it's it's all genre informed it's genre john ray gene ray good thoughts guys good thoughts um alex yeah so i would say so to explain my first answer, we are all some level of reformed. Even dispensationalists are some level of reformed because the reformed movement comes out of the reformation. Um, so that's a very unhelpful, broad answer that I was trying to, to just, no, I think that's great answer. Yeah, good. Um, <clears throat> um, I'm definitely five pointer. Um, I'm, I'm at least progressive covenantal, if not, um, if not new covenant, the regulative principle, I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, I, you know, I'm still kind of working through that <laughs> as far as baptism. I'm confessional Baptist, but 
I see merit with Pado Baptist, uh, but I just don't think the scripture supports it at all. I've sure. kind of had a journey with my understanding of baptism too, where there was a time when like I was really considering Pado Baptism a lot. I was reading a lot on the topic. When my daughter was born, I was kind of coming out of it, but I really wasn't sure. Yeah. What am I going to do? That puts a lot of pressure on you because if you're wrong, then you should have done it. Yeah, because like at that at that point, I was pretty convinced it was wrong. But then there's that little uh, in the back of my mind saying, "I don't know. Like I, I want to do this right. I want to be a good dad. Uh, I don't want to withhold any grace from her if there's some available." And what I ended up going down to was, I go to a church that doesn't do that, so I'm going to trust my pastors. Like that's that's basically where I ended up. And today, I think I made the right decision. Yeah, that's 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 a really cool trust that you have that I think people need to be okay with, uh, with admitting and be okay resting in. Um, my church says this, my pastor has told me to do this, then I'm going to do it. Uh, cause I trust them. It says the pastor of the group says the pastor of the group, the assistant <laughs> pastor. <of> the group. <laughs> yeah. You should always do what your pastor tells you to do. <laughs> no matter what. But I think our tale has been said, our song has been sung, and uh, for now, uh, good night and good luck.